the voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cook, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys. Hey, before we get started, please follow us on social media. Look for the Voice of Motown podcast. Leave a comment um, and just interact with us. We love talking to the fans. So let's get right into it. Today, we are going to talk to Brad Smith today. We got a very special interview. Um, So welcome to the podcast, Brad. Gentlemen, what's up? I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we enjoy having you on. And I think this is a really interesting time to have you on and chat, um, especially um, after the article, which we're going to talk about here soon. And then um, as a follow-up to the interview you had with Kuz Walker. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah, for sure. So let's get right into it. You wrote an article that got a lot of attention lately. The article was critical of Coach Larry Harrison, who has been with Bob Huggins. I think I read somewhere. It's about 23 years now, I believe. So uh, it was a pretty hot take. So why do you think Coach Harrison has performed poorly lately? Yeah, so my issue, I guess, more than, you know, whether he's performed poorly or not um, isn't really the issue. The issue for me is that he has so much control of the team. Um, And I think anyone who read the article, hopefully that that's (laughs) – it seems like nobody got that from it, but um, that was my hope is that um, they would see that uh, my issue is that Larry Harrison is essentially running the team from what I've heard. Um, you know, he runs practices, he does the substitution patterns, and he makes the play calls. And the three things that what I can gather from um, that there are issues with the team are those three things. You know, the practices for the players are too hard. They're too intense. They're, they're too negative. Um, the substitution patterns has always been an issue since Hugs has been there for me. And the the offense is the biggest issue. So, um, you know, um, I don't know that he even performs poorly. I don't really know enough about him to say that. All I know is that I don't think he should have enough have that much control of the team. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think when I think of Harrison, I think of recruiting. Um, he seems to be someone who the players connect with whenever they're coming out of high school. Um, and he just seems to bring in some really good guys uh, running day-to-day operations, especially with uh, you touched on his past performances at Hartford and other places. It just doesn't really strike me as something that, you know, that that's really kind of in his wheelhouse. Um, And I'm kind of curious. I I know you said you reached out to players to get their thoughts on the situation. Um, Did they ever mention anything about Huggins and kind of what his role in the whole situation is? From what I understand, and, and again, I hate to put I hate to put words on it like this, but what I gathered, and they didn't say this word, but I, I got the, the idea that he's more of a figurehead at this point, that he's he's kind of more in coast mode as far as, um, you know, he's the he's the face of the team, obviously. But I don't see that he's necessarily running the program right now. Yeah, one thing I will agree with you with is um, you, you talked about the substitutions. Um, that, that was a big thing last year that stuck out to me, that it, we struggled so much scoring throughout the year, and it seemed like anytime a guy would get hot that he would go to the bench. And I know teams have players on um, 
you know, minute counts and, and they're trying to hit a certain minute every game. But, um, you know, if you're a team who struggles scoring a lot and you got a guy heating up, it just makes no sense to me why you would put him on the bench. The player that always stands out to me um, is Jordan McCabe, um, because when he would make a mistake, um, he would immediately be pulled out. And you could just tell he was he was so confident when he was a freshman. And by the time he left West Virginia, he just felt he looked like a whipped puppy to me. He just looked like he was he had had enough. And, I, you know, Jalen Bridges t- touched on it on the four, final forecast uh, interview as well. He said, you know, I'd, I'd play for two minutes and then I'd be looking over my shoulder because I'm going to go out for 10 minutes. And it never really made sense to him. He felt like he couldn't get into a groove. So, again, the, the offensive, the substitution patterns, I, I have never understood since Huggins has been there. And I didn't realize it was Larry Harrison until recently. It definitely feels like certain players had longer leashes. I don't know why. I don't know if that has something to do with what Hugs sees at practice or what Harrison sees at practice. Um, But uh, I agree with you there. It seems like certain guys have um, more leniency for making mistakes than others. For sure. Yeah, and it seems like he he definitely rewards the, the, the veteran players, the senior players, um, some, most of the time he'll, he'll give them a little bit more leash. Um, but I hate to see players who regress during their time. And McCabe to me is the ultimate example. Oscar Chibway is another example who, um, he regressed as a player in, in the two years that he was there. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me. I mean, with the substitution patterns, it just doesn't make sense to, like Tyler said, to pull someone when they're on a roll. Um, it doesn't make sense. Either the way that we kind of sheltered our young guys a little bit last year. I mean, I, I, it looks like someone like Seth Wilson looked really effective there at the end of the year last year, but I don't think he crossed that 13 minute mark all season. Um, so I don't know what those artificial barriers are, especially when someone's getting hot. Um, and that has to hinder player development. Yeah. And, and another person is a Conquo who Huggins bragged about all season. I'm like, why isn't he playing then? I mean, we obviously need an interior player, an interior presence. What, what are we hold? What are we waiting for? Um, you know, these players could leave at any time. So while they're there, you've got to play them. I mean, do we really? Are we worried about him um, playing? You know, staying for four years? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think he should have played more last year. At least give him a look. I would like to see him. See him because, like you said, we needed a big guy, and I know he was really young. But give him five minutes a game and just see what he can do. So um, let's talk about Larry Harrison some more. Um, if you think, you know, how he's performing is is an issue, why do you think so many players have come out to support him lately? Because obviously some players have spoken out that they dislike certain things, but um, it seems like a lot of guys have stuck up for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that they came and, and they stuck up for him. I think that's great. Um, you know, when we say a lot, I mean, I think it was like four I mean, that seems like a lot, but I think it's like four. And, you know, who knows? They had they obviously had different experiences than the other the, these other guys. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I think maybe they have motives. Kedrian Johnson was one of the players that spoke out. Um, he's, he's still on the team. I mean, obviously, he should support his coach. Um, some of the other players, they had good experiences. I, I, I'm trying to think. Polly Polycap, um, you know, he. I don't. I I think they just want to keep a good relationship with the program, and maybe they just had better experiences. 
Yeah, I mean, certain guys definitely have different mentalities. You look at like Javon Carter or Deuce McBride, and you know they thrived off of those type of practices. Um, but yeah, I mean, players are definitely built different, and some of them, um, you know, obviously weren't pleased with it. But yeah, I mean, those guys just thrive off of hard work and you know, tough yeah. love. Like and the other thing, Tyler, is I don't really, I, again, I don't really necessarily know that his performance is bad. I just think it's it's the control that he has over the program. And I don't know that that would necessarily bother most of the players. I think my big kind of big problem with that style nowadays is that it does that, you know, the culture is just changing, especially with the younger players um, and even AAU ball. I mean, we're bringing in more. It seems like four star recruits than ever now, where it seems like we're at least one per year. Um, and those hardworking guys, I mean, there's so many other mid-major schools that are schools worth going to anymore, and they all run different systems, especially with more effective and efficient offenses, uh, higher scoring teams that are going to make the tournament. So, you know, you're competing with more people and you have a more exciting product to compete with. And, you know, a lot of these players aren't really built the way Javon Carter and Deuce McBride were, where they're driven off hard work and hustle and, you know, uh, construct, constructive criticism. A lot of these guys want to be coddled, um, which, you know, ha- has its own issues in, in today's day and age, but it's also kind of the way college basketball is evolving with NIL and the transfer portal and everything else. So um, it seems like Huggins in some way, shape or form has adapted. You know, he's not the same guy who's over on the sidelines screaming in guys' face as much. It seems like Harrison needs to adapt as well. And, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Yeah, I also I, I again I think they're good coaches. I, I just I wonder why Huggins hasn't gone to a, a younger assistant at this point. Um, at least, and I'm not saying to fire any of the assistants that are currently on the staff. I just mean bring some. Juwan Staten was on was on staff last year as a graduate assistant. Why not make him an assistant coach? He's a young guy who has experience. He's a mountaineer, um, and he could probably identify better with some of the younger guys too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, me and Brandon have talked about that recently uh, quite a few times uh, throughout the basketball season, and I'm with you. It's not like we're calling out one of the coaches saying that they have to go, but, man, we could really use um, a young guy who's got fresh ideas and, like you said, who can um, you know, maybe bridge the gap between some of these older coaches and these young players because, I mean, what do these older coaches have in common with these kids anymore? And, uh, you know, if you want to see a good example, look at what we're doing on the football side. We just brought in Graham Harrell, and that changed everything, it seemed like. I mean, we haven't seen the product on the field yet, but definitely the energy and the excitement around the football program changed once that hire was made. Absolutely. That would be the one question. If I, if I ever could ask Bob Huggins a question, it would be, you know, why, why not make, you know, one change on your, on your staff and just – just bring in a younger guy. What, what's holding you back from doing that? Because I'm very curious to wonder why he's not making any changes. And the one thing I liked that Huggins did several years ago was, you know, Billy Hahn was on the staff forever. And then they created a role for him in what was the athletic department or some sort of basketball operations thing so that he could stay within the program. He could still keep his paycheck. He wouldn't have to worry about, you know, getting another job. Mm-hmm. But it created a space for someone else to be brought in. And you know, I don't know who it is. I know it seems like Martin has done a really, really good job with the big men. I mean, you look at guys like Kanate, um, Culver, 
and several other big men that we've had in the past few years where Martin's worked with them and they've developed, um, you know, but we still need a younger guy who can connect because that hard-nosed attitude doesn't work with everyone. And while it does kind of fit that press Virginia style, um, I just don't know how sustainable press Virginia is because those hard-nosed kids are getting harder to harder to find harder and harder to find. It seems like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For sure. I mean, uh, we, we kind of touched on how the football program seems to be heading in the right direction. We'll see if that, you know, results and wins uh, come this fall. But Brad, what do you think about WVU's basketball program? Do you think they're on the right track? I think getting Trey Mitchell was huge. Um, I think it's uh, if we get uh, Courtney Ramey, I think that's going to be I think we'll be competitive. Um, I still think we lack a, um, you know, a true scoring, a scoring uh, wing right now. And if we don't get someone like Courtney Ramey, I just kind of wonder what, who's going to score for us next year. Yeah, we but definitely need to score. A, but we've oh, done sorry, the best man. we could in, in the, in the transfer portal. Yeah. I like most of the guys that we've brought in um, through the transfer portal. I think we've done a really good job. The one thing that I'm worried about is that it seems like we have, and if we bring in Ramey, it, it kind of complicates the problem where we have, what what is it now, seven or eight guards? Um, I'm not sure who we're going to have playing wing. Um, I mean, we could go three guard lineups again, but in the Big 12, that's tough because there's just so much size and athleticism. We saw how much we can get taken advantage of last year with that. Um, when you're pressing, maybe that helps out a little bit, but... You know, I, I really want to see Seth Wilson and um, Kobe Johnson develop. Um, and obviously I want to win too. So it's kind of a tough, tough way to kind of deal with it. But, you know, I don't want to see those guys end up out either because we do need youth on this team. Um, so I, that's kind of the one conundrum I've been racking my head about the past few weeks is, you know, how are these guard lineups going to work? Yeah, I'm yeah, with I, you. Um, you know, our team... I don't know how I feel about it. I love the guys that they brought in, but you guys make a great point. Um, you know, having an elite score, especially at the wing position, is um, is lacking. And, you know, the Big 12, yeah, they have great wingers. And, um, you know, that even hurt us a lot last year. Is, you know, that's where we got crushed a lot was in the, you know, that three position on other teams. And um, I don't know, just looking at it, I mean, if we do bring in another guy, don't some of these guys have to start going? You can only have so many scholarships. Yeah, and I think there's some uncertainty uncertainty about uh, who's going to be on the team because uh, Josiah Davis, who is the uh, guard um, who played at Scott Depot in West Virginia, I think he's probably going to uh, get prep for one year and then sit out for a year. I think that's the plan right now. Do you have any idea who the second guy would be if we would end up getting Ramey or someone else? I don't know. I no, I have no idea yet. Do you, you guys heard anything? I've heard rumblings that maybe Suminik, um, if that's how you say his name. Yep. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I know he's someone who, you know, he's six foot eight. He can play the four. I'm not sure if he can play the three because I don't watch tape. But um, he seems to be someone who can – you know, has a little bit of a jumper. I think he shot like 32% from three last year. 
but he only averaged six rebounds a game. But he was first team all junior college, all American. So um, I'm not sure how I'd feel about losing him. Um, and it really kind of hinges on, I guess, um, how committed we are to Bell, who, you know, he's the guy who I had the biggest question mark in terms of junior college guys that we brought in because I'm just not sure how he fits. But it seems like Huggins and staff loves him. And if it's Sumanik who's out, then, you know, I guess so be it because we haven't seen him play. So what's the loss? I'm a little worried about our interior guys next year, too. I mean, honestly, Jimmy Bell is, like you said, he's a big question mark. I, I don't know. He averaged, what, 10 points and nine rebounds in junior college. Uh, we've seen that the that those uh, those junior college players they take a year or two to be. And he's um, two hundred eighty uh, pounds. Yeah, <laughs> and it takes it takes a few years for them to be productive. So, um, I don't know. I I think we need somebody to step in and be productive immediately. Now to be on the positive note, I, I'm really kind of excited about Wag. Uh, you know, there's just something about me who it, it, he just seems like the type of guy that ends up coming to WVU and excelling. Someone who can just rebound block shots, play around the rim. Um, I mean, those, anytime we've had a big man in the past decade who's been good, that's been the type of guy that we've had. So I just have really good feelings about him coming in. Yeah, I mean, he led junior college in, re- in uh, rebounds last year. So he's obviously a Huggins-style player. Let's do it. So, uh, Brad, let's talk about the voice of Motown a little bit because he's been uh, – also criticized with just like, you know, how big the viewership or readership, whatever you want to call it, really is at the voice of Motown. And obviously me and Brandon have a little more insight than the average person. But uh, did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I get a lot of screenshots sent to me from various message boards. And it, it they're basically on there saying things that are just completely false, just completely made up. And people had, uh, I guess, I don't know what website they used, but it basically showed that uh, the Voice of Motown got about 250,000 views every month. And if you if you searched also, it also showed that uh, WVU Sports, which is the official uh, site of West Virginia University, got like 150,000 views. So, which is just ridiculous. None of these, none of these, uh, none of it was accurate at all, is basically what I'm saying. And so... Um, you know, I, I guess after I got screenshot after screenshot, them lying, making up stuff and saying that our readership isn't what it was, I, <laughs> I wrongly, I probably shouldn't have, but I posted our revenue for the month and our, and our, um, and our, uh, page views for the month. So, um, in hindsight, probably not the best decision, but, um, you know, I've made a couple of errors like that recently. And, and I feel like, um, you know, a lot of the criticism comes from Twitter. So do you feel like it's, you know, do, do you feel like you get more from the Twitter audience? Because, you know, Twitter users are kind of more notorious for being more of the toxic group. So do you think it's just kind of Twitter being an echo chamber or, or, or are you kind of getting it from other places as well? Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm new to Twitter. And when I say new, I mean, last year, I've been around Twitter for a year it's awful. I, I, I was, I've talked to my family about it and they're like, why are you still on Twitter? I'm like, it, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get me any page views. I don't, you know, I've gotten uh, some death threats recently on, on Twitter, you know, things that it, it, I, I haven't had one good experience on Twitter. So I probably just need to stop going on Twitter. Having said that, I've been saying that for the last couple months. So. 
Yeah, yeah I, I can like pack you up way. there. I am out of all the social medias. I like Twitter the most. Like in my free time, if I'm just like looking at news or sports or whatever. And mm-hmm. but I will say, you know, me and Brandon just started doing these podcasts last fall, and oh my god, the WVU uh, Twitter—I don't know what you want to call it—community is the most toxic thing I have ever witnessed <laughs> since yeah. I've you know been on social media. Yeah, and I, I like you said, I, I love Twitter. It's it's my favorite app, and yet since since I've been interacting with West Virginia fans, it's just not. There's been nothing good that's come from it. Yeah, it's yeah, very that's, I mean, clicky too, almost like high oh, school. Crazy, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I think a lot of these people that that were you know hating on the voice of Motown over this last week or so. I don't think they read the, an article. I don't think that they know anything about what's going on. They just see a couple of players, you know, saying stuff, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, they I, we hate Boys in Motown too." So it's 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 ridiculous, but not much I can do to control that. Yeah, I agree with what you said, Tyler, with the click thing. I mean, that's the perfect way to describe it because you know it, it seems like it's really hard to gain traction unless you kind of tag along with one of those groups jump on board with everything that they say and don't disagree or shake the waters at all. Um, You know, and it's a shame because Twitter is probably the best way to communicate with fans and, you know, get information out there. Um, But it's just, man, I mean, because I feel like we do a lot of good stuff. Um, You know, we always put out those graphics before the football games and it seems like they didn't really get the traction that I personally thought they would just because we're not in the in crowd. Um, But me and Tyler also agree that we're not going to go down and bow down to people and, you know, say, okay, Brad's bad. And <laughs> you know, that whole click um, just so we can get views because it's not worth it. I mean, we want to put something out there that's good for the fans to listen to. That's pretty objective, put a lot of thought and analysis into the things that we say, because there's really not much of that going on for WVU. So um, that's just kind of where we stand on it. I think. Yeah, I'm. I, I, I promised my wife this weekend I'm staying off Twitter for the whole weekend. So, <laughs> and I'm actually for the first time in three years or four years, maybe now, um, I'm not writing any articles. I'm taking the whole weekend off and spending it with her. So, um, <laughs> I need to get some of that toxic stuff out. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, good for uh, your mental the- health. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and kind of go into, you know, on a tangent for related to Twitter is like the media personalities. It seems like, you know, kind of when we talk about the clicks of people of WVU fans on Twitter, it kind of seems pretty similar with um, WVU media personalities. And, you know, talking to people who were cover other teams, it, it seems different with West Virginia. It seems like this is mine and stay away. Where with other groups that we've talked to they've been really collaborative they want to talk they want to say hey yeah let's share information so i just want to get your thoughts on why you think west virginia media is or the west virginia media personalities i should say not west virginia media um are so kind of i don't know what the right word is possessive of the things that they say and do and perceptions of everyone else that's doing similar things yeah i mean it's a it's really competitive there's you know, uh, probably, I don't even know how many outlets, six to 10 that are fighting for the same audience. And it's, it's a relatively small audience. And when I got into this business, um, 
my whole thing was I want to do the exact opposite of what all these other people are doing, because that was honestly the reason I got into it. I didn't expect to, to make money. I didn't expect to, to, to do what I'm doing and have a huge audience. I just expected to, you know, give a different perspective. And, um, so that it, when I, when I have a different perspective, I feel like it's really, um, caused some problems because, you know, it, when you have been exposed to the same stuff for the, for me, it's been the same since I was a kid. I mean, and I'm, I'm 43 now. So, um, it's been 35 years that I've been reading West Virginia sports probably, and nothing's really changed. There's still the same, you know, the same type of articles and, and none of it concentrates on any of the ways in which the program can improve. It's just kind of like putting a positive spin on everything. Yeah, I'm with you. And, you know, the thing is, like, why can't we have it all? Like, why can't we have those guys who are always trying to, you know, put a positive spin on stuff? And why can't we have the stuff that you write? Like, my thought has always been we're adults. Like, if you see something and don't want to read it, then don't read it. And then because there's plenty of people who do. So I don't understand this, um, like, block party and the the attacks that, you know, it's like, if you don't like it, then just keep moving. I, I don't understand. And that's one thing, too, that makes a great sports show is when you have someone with all these different personalities talking to each other and debating. And if there's all these closed doors between all the different outlets and Brad, I, I feel like you're the only one who's. I've seen talk on several different outlets and outreach and try to get all these other people, whether it's on our podcast or you going on their podcast. Um, I think the only one that we've talked to who's been pretty positive about everything is unreasonable doubt. Josh Witt. Um, he's been fantastic. I mean, he's one of the people who I think wants to see, wants to share information, wants to see everyone succeed. And that's the way we are too. You know, we want to make sure that um, West Virginia fans get the best news that they can and they get it from all sides possible because like you said tyler you know positive news isn't the only news yeah yeah 100 percent. and um you know i'm not gonna name drop but when we first got into this and changed our podcast to the voice of motown podcast you know i was always reaching out to people saying hey i like your work um, this and that, just trying to make connections. That's before I really understood, you know, the community of WVU on Twitter and people would just block me. Like they wouldn't even respond. And I had nothing but positive things to say. Like, Hey, I loved your article. Good stuff. I'm a big fan. And then they would just block me. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is this? Like, are we not adults here? I mean, that's how we got connected with you, Brad. I just reached out, said I liked your work. And then, you know, we had a conversation. These other guys, I mean, I don't know. They just act like they're teenagers or something. I don't understand it. I, I've tried to, um, you know, to reach out to some of the people that I respect in, in the business, you know, that are writers for West Virginia. And it, it's just not, it's not even worth it for me anymore because they they have such a, a, a view of me, a viewpoint of me that it's, it's not even... I can't, I can't change their minds at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I think, you know, what you do with, um, you know, going on other people's shows who have dissenting topics, you know, that makes really interesting television. And I think, you know, maybe as a suggestion, if they're listening by any chance, you know, the 24 seven guys or the rivals guys, you know, if they would go out there with their content and their audience, you know, you can make a really compelling show where a podcast where you're talking to, you know, us who are more analytical driven or you who's more kind of a 
you know, open and honest about what's going on. Um, you know, that that's, that's ESPN, that's Fox sports, that's Barstool. That's what everyone le- reads and listens to, but you can't really form that um, audience base without, you know, putting your ego aside a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And what I, what I've tried to convey is that, you know, in every other program, probably with just about every other program in the country, there's not one of me. There's like 10 of me. There, this is, you know, there's there's 10 people that give opinions on the team and criticize the program when it needs to be criticized. And so I guess just because it's so new to West Virginia is why it's caused so many uh, so many problems. And what, what are your thoughts on that? That was um, actually my next question is, you know, around the negativity. It seems like West Virginia fans only want negative news on their own terms. Um, it, well, why do you think that is? I don't even know that they that they want it on their own terms. I don't see that they want it at all. I, I, I haven't seen any. And that's the thing. I, I guess I probably should <laughs> have written only positive articles and make my life a whole lot easier. I'd probably make a lot more money. People would like me a whole lot more. Um, but again, that's not what I got into this business to do. I, did, I wanted to, to, to challenge people and to, um, you know, stir the pot a little bit. And I, that it's hard. It's hard to break in uh, with West Virginia fans because they are so loyal and so passionate. And so um, they love West Virginia. They love the Mountaineers. The one thing that always kind of confused me was, you know, especially with like Jared Deggy in the offense last year, that's a prime example where, so many people, you know, would go out there and say, you know, I'm done with Deggy, I'm done with Deggy, um, you know, and, and and place the blame on that or the offensive play calling, which which is right. But anytime, you know, a media personality would come out right right out and say it, then they would say you're being too harsh on the kids. Um, you know, those there there were still the same fans who were saying similar things about like Jalen Bridges and things like that last year, uh, maybe in smaller pockets, but you know, anytime anyone would criticize him, they said, you're being too hard on him. So it, that's kind of one thing that always kind of confused me because, you know, I understand trying to stay positive with things. I understand trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but, you know, whenever you're saying one thing and then bashing the exact same view two minutes later, it just doesn't <laughs> make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, power, power five football and, and basketball is, it's a big business. I mean, these kids, they're under a lot of pressure, but I mean, that's what they signed up for, you know? So um, I, I think constructive criticism and is, is fair. And, and I think, I, I think that it should be allowed. Yeah. I, I I'm on board with constructive criticism, but when it comes to like, you know, some of the things that I think fans all over the country do, but you know, what we see for West Virginia fans where they're, saying, you know, we don't want to see them in our uniform anymore. They're sending them direct messages and death threats and ridiculous stuff like that. That's that's too far. Um, you know, so I completely agree that, you know, constructive criticism, I mean, that's how anyone improves, but yeah. there is a line. And me and Tyler have talked about that at length before where just, just stop it. Let's be adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, 100%. So uh, Brandon brought up this question, but I'll ask it to you, Brad, because um, I'm sure some of the audience wants to know, is the voice of Motown a character you play or is this just, you know, how you really feel about stuff? Has that been a question you guys have heard? I haven't heard. I mean, before. I've never heard it flat out <laughs> asked that way, but I they almost like insinuate that, oh, he's just playing like this, this role and he's not really that 
way. And I don't know. Brandon brought it up the question. And I thought, you know what? That's actually a really good question to just have Brad address it to everyone. <laughs> definitely, definitely not a role. Um, definitely how I feel. Definitely. Um, I, I've been, again, I've been a fan for so long. Um, I, I've lived and died with West Virginia sports and I'm passionate about the team. So um, I don't know. Some people, some people cheer for them and only say good things. And I, I don't know. It's just different for me. I, I, I want the team to improve. And so um, I don't know. I, I'm critical. But I think, but I think we all are, honestly. I mean, in, in our own living rooms, we're, we're, we're critical. And I feel like I'm saying a lot of the things that a lot of people are thinking and saying at home. But I heard you were a Pitt fan. I'm just <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely a Pitt fan. I'm definitely a Marshall fan, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of the stuff we hear is ridiculous. But I think you bring up a good point. I mean, it, honestly, yeah, you are saying that stuff that we're screaming at our TV when, like, WVU is losing pretty bad to somebody. <laughs> like, you're right about that. It's just that. You know, you're actually coming out and saying it for the whole world to see instead of just like me and the dog, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those people that were, you know, blocking me on Twitter and, and hating me on Twitter, they probably said the exact same stuff um, about the offensive play calling and the substitution patterns for West Virginia basketball. So, you know, it is what it is. Yep. All right. Awesome. Hey, you got anything else, Brandon? No. Um, I was going to say, let's move on to, uh, some positive news that we haven't covered yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just real quick guys, we wanted to talk about the addition of Trey Mitchell because we haven't really covered it on a podcast. So um, let's just dive into it. They got Trey Mitchell. He's six foot nine, 225 pound forward who spent two seasons with Massachusetts before playing at Texas last year. So WVU fans should be a little familiar with them. He has two years of eligibility left and gives West Virginia, I think a legit threat inside the paint for scoring, getting rebounds. So what are your guys' thoughts on Trey Mitchell? I think he was the perfect addition. I think he's exactly what we needed. Um, you know, I know people were a little down on him for his performance last year. He averaged, I think, eight points and four rebounds, but he only played 18 minutes a game last year. Um, when he was playing 30, you know, like 32 minutes a game at UMass, he was averaging 18 and eight. Um, he's definitely capable uh, with his back to the basket. He can shoot the three. Um, I, I love, I think is exactly what we needed to get. Yeah. yeah I love you. the addition too. Go ahead, Brandon. I'll I'll like, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I love the addition too, because I feel like, you know, he's the perfect guy who can play a small ball center if you need him to, but he can also play the four. Um, he's willing to shoot from outside. Um, you know, he, he has some range. He has some ball handling ability. Um, I just think he's a perfect fit and he rounds out the roster pretty pretty well i think because the four is the position where we are just so thin um you know unless we're playing two bigs who just can't do anything on offense um trey mitchell kind of solved that problem yeah i'm with you um you know he kind of gets us one step closer to where i want the team to be going into next year i mean we talked about earlier how we might be missing one more piece at the wing but um i think if even we have to just go in with the lineup that we have now you know, we're looking a lot better now than we did, say, two months ago. And, um, Brad, you brought up a good point. You know, some people were saying he only averaged eight points and four rebounds last year. But you're right. His minutes significantly went down at Texas. Um, and so if he was still getting those 30 minutes, you know, his averages probably would have been 
pretty close to what he was doing at UMass. And so um, that's pretty impressive considering the step up in competition last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited about him and Matthews coming back too. Um, no one was more frustrating <laughs> to watch than, than Emmett Matthews for me um, his first year or two, or maybe it was to say his sophomore year. Um, I just thought his his shot selection was terrible. And he's such an awesome athlete that I always felt like, wow, this guy should be like a superstar. And he, um, But I watched him a little bit last year at Washington, and he really has improved his game. His, his shooting is much better. Um, he's, you know, he's always been super long and athletic and um, a solid defensive player. And I mean, he's got so much experience now. So I really think he's going to be another fantastic addition for the team. And both. Of yeah. And I'm glad were, you brought him up because we haven't talked about him yet on the podcast since he committed. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he's a huge, huge addition. Cause I mean, he's tall, six, eight length. Um, and, and he was someone who was a little frustrating, but I, I think he tried hard. Um, and I think he provides the positional flexibility that we need. You know, we can even go with a three guard lineup with him at the four. Um, we could go extra small with him at the four and Mitch wet the five, I think, and really have guys problems. Um, you know, I think his length is really important if we are indeed going back to press Virginia, um, him being at the top of the press because he is so tall and long and athletic. Um, he opens up a lot of things for us. Um, and like you said, it looked like he improved a lot at Washington. So, you know, hopefully he's able to come in here and kind of at least take a share of the lead um, in, in scoring duties because he could definitely be a solid number two option, but he might be a perfect number three option if we can find a good number two to go with Trey Mitchell. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, you guys are right. There was times he would seem to just disappear um, when he was at WVU, but he's got another year under his belt now. He's got more experience. And um, I love him at the wing position because he's just got good length and he can score. I mean, that's a guy who can average, you know, 10, 11 points a game, which, you know, that's what we need. And uh, and so we'll see. We'll see what kind of player he is. But I'm excited that he came back. I have a question for you, too. Um, so would you rather have let's not take eligibility into concern how many years they have remaining. But this year, would you rather have Emmett Matthews? Or Jalen Bridges. This year, this coming year, I would yes. go. I would go in at Matthews just because I, Bridges has so much potential. But wow, does he disappear? And you know, it's um, I, I don't know that he'll ever be super aggressive. Um, it just I, I can't see him ever uh, taking over a team. Even though if it probably would have been his team next year, but I just think he would have taken on a more passive role. And I think Emmett Matthews is going to come in and. I think he's going to be fantastic. He's going to be great. Yeah, I agree with you. For this upcoming year, I want Emmett Matthews. I mean, anyone who listens to the podcast, I talked up Jalen Bridges the entire basketball season. We did. Saying he was the best player on the team. He just had to, you know, he just had to be more aggressive and it was going to eventually happen. And honestly, it just never happened. So um, I think you're right, Brad. If he would have came back next year, I might have just been bragging about him once again for a whole year, and he just never would have, you know, paid off. So I don't know if if I had to pick between the two, I'm pretty excited that Matthews is back. In the same way, I agree with both of you for sure. It was weird to hear Bridges say that um, he felt like he had to search out for his shots. Did you guys hear that on that on the interview he did? I that did. He had to, and and I was like, it didn't seem like that to me. It seemed like he was given plenty of opportunities to score and. Um, he just didn't seem like he wanted to. 
It's yeah, just, that's the thing. Sometimes they would give him the ball wide open, and then he w- he would just hang on to it and then pass it. And it's like, so. I mean, I can understand why maybe Taz or someone you know might not go to him next time because you know if if he's not going to be aggressive with it, you might just take it yourself instead. The one thing that always drove me crazy with him, you know, wasn't the necessarily passed up shots, even though that's bad. But like, you know, he made this change. He wanted to go to Baylor because he says it's going to help him get to the league, which you know, in theory is right. But the one thing that he could have really done last year that kills me that you need to be able to do if you're going to be an NBA player, even a G League player, is attack closeouts. And there are times where, you know, the guy's closing in on him quick or he has a mismatch, someone who's shorter than him or someone who's less athletic, and he just wouldn't drive to the basket. And he was a tremendous free throw shooter. His best scoring nights were nights where he was getting to the line. And I feel like if he would have done that, you know, seven or eight times a game, he would have easily averaged 12 points a game and been to the line six or seven times a game. And, you know, with his length and athleticism, you know, there's no reason he couldn't have done that. And that comes with the aggressiveness that comes with, you know, yeah, you do have to seek out your own shot by attacking the defense's weaknesses. You know, no one, you, you don't, you don't scheme up attacking a closeout. That's just something you do as a basketball player. So yeah. it, I, I, it's just frustrating. <laughs> he also alluded to the fact that he felt like, um, he couldn't make mistakes that, um, you know, he kind of felt like a robot on the team. And I, again, I don't know if that's coaching or if that's just him, but he definitely always seemed to, to play a passive role. And there were times it seemed like he had a, a quick hook, um, which I didn't understand it. And there are times where they did it with Cottrell and all these other guys too. I mean, I felt like the only guys who really didn't have that quick hook were, or Taz and, Sean and I think that's just because they kind of earned their stripes over the years um and with Bridges maybe the coaches didn't feel that way but you know can it get again it goes back to Harrison and his substitution patterns that just are wacky so um you know I feel like that's something that if it was a big issue you know you can talk about the coaches like say hey how do I not get yanked out of the, the game um and that's something you can deal with over the course of the season and I'm not sure if those conversations happen but you know I don't know. It, it it just the substitution pattern still drive me wild. Yeah. All right. Do you guys got anything else? Um, I think that's all I had. That's all I got. How about you, Brad? That's it, gentlemen. Yeah. It's getting late. It's nine thirty. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. So thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it, Brad. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks. My pleasure, guys. All right. Hey, guys, remember, follow us on social media. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think about the interview, and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys.